Martini Theatre on the Air is proud to present the man who would be Sherlock Holmes. Episode Rumbling and the stumbling of unknown steel tonnage surrenders with a jerk and a shake at the extremity de Victoria. Westminster, Central London. 
where a beleaguered but determined Dr. Watson exits and walks steadily towards... Well, wherever one goes when time is the rival of humanity itself. And it was here, at the Queen Street Station, that there was an impairment to our story. An impotence of the mind and body that comes when one hasn't the foggiest of foggiest ideas of how one just goes about. Saving the world when time is the rival of humanity itself. And then it came to the good doctor that perhaps a pint of the black stuff and a bit of the opposite and much more alluring epidermality with its adipose tissues properly distributed in a state of willing undress pressed up hard against his more than willing entirety would set his mind just right so as to give proper and decorous assessment to the crisis that not only be at his doorstep now but at the doorstep as stated ad nauseum of humanity itself. This wasn't only a good start, but it was also a most excellent idea that would surely set in motion a whole gaggle of even better, more excellent ideas to shortly come after a lengthy conjugal melding of the mindset. And he knew of just the right pub, for lack of a more civil manner of speaking, to make this all happen. And on top of all that, which is where we plan to be in just a short while, it was just a bit of a walk. And that would save on cab fare, for there is a budget to be mindful of. So walking, it would be. For time is the rival of humanity itself. A fireplace, normally a blaze akin to that of which rocked London one treble six, is now but a vanishing cluster of expiring spark, aiming, in vain, to set a crow's nest of a queen's vessel full tilt, once all aflame, but now just a pop and a snap, thinking that somehow they could, by doing so, stave away the steadily approaching watery grave that will separate them, once and forever from their fiery dominance, near to return. Far off in the deepest corner of this expanse, no small part away from that sad excuse for a warm and cosy fire that be a staple of this kingdom united. Ensconced in a chair that once gave comfort to a man of arthritic withering construct, now assembles the silhouette of something much more spry, nimble and quick. Chock full of savage hope, wild dreams, and unpredictable fury, eerie waits, with an already near non-existent allocation of equanimity, departing, uncivil-like, and in great haste. The fleshy bounds of that shadow incarnate labour to cage a monstrous flame that will sear like no other when the time comes, and that time will surely come if it be allowed. The entry to this innermost chamber opens. Dr. Von Lied staggers within, looking as if he were a man in need of another to pronounce him dead. 
so as to somehow justify his categorical exhaustion. He leers into the darkness and catches a slight glimmer of something aglow. But it was nothing alight in the ashes, but instead a vivid reflection of said flare, bouncing back from the dilating pupil of that which sits forever in the blackness of a soul that was forsaken long, long ago. Their eyes meet in a fervent want of the other to speak first, but after but a moment, the ailing art of an acutely dangerous young man will always bid he, for now anyway, acquiesce. Is she beautiful? On the way to this intimate venue of soft cosy relations, to be relationed over a good stiff one, or perhaps two, a bone chilling wind drew a curtain back and sent a bona fide discomfort into the never gonna heal properly offence into Doctor's right shoulder. Although at times it was his left, and on certain occasion it would make itself unwelcome in his leg, but either like was of no matter, for it was a discourtesy bestowed upon his subclavian artery by way of an handmade muzzle-loading long arm commonly referred to as a Jezebel while in the service of his majesty blah 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 and it was that and a suffering that it came with that made his eyes brighten like that of an hollow dog stumbling over a meaty bone now in this narrow back alley alleyway on his way to pursue his most favoured pursuit of leisure, that John Amish Watson, MD, knew exactly what was needed to save humanity itself. Then off he went to go find it, leaving all favoured pursuits of leisure to be pursued with an extra dab of relish for another day. Sherlock Holmes's eyelids flutter aside as if a pair of lovelorn, spring-born butterflies against an early old man's gambit of frost as the cell door yawns wide with a careful, pokey sway. A goon, doing his utmost to bear the burden of a dense bucket of Adam's ale, lumbers towards the cell's anti-prone occupant. And, with no more than a few clumsy steps, promptly tosses the pale sum total into the static face of Sherlock Holmes, erasing any lack of consciousness at ease there before, forcing him to bend like a Welshman's bow, recoiling with a snap against the base of a nearby wall, endeavouring while there, with great haste, 
to ascertain all that needs to be ascertained. And once divined, he notes the pen of stone that confines him fill up with a foul heap at a queen's feces. When hushed, scared and on guard along each wall, another more nimble slips in like a snake on dewy grass, a lamp aglow in his reedy hand, cutting its flame right away until rendering all an untold mass of black and grey, but for the modest flicker of a lauded yellow and its seductive first cousin, Blue. As woven as they are wild, vying to survive as one against the lumen darkness. The wary gait of two tread near until a twine of silhouettes carefully slip between the cell door jams. One guiding the other, the escort being Stockdale, the dancing patina bouncing off the side of his pasty white mug to land on that of the one he pilots. A demeanor so young, so robust, and like many so young and so robust, so menacing. So menacing. Blind by way of a fresh gauze wrapped tight like a bridge in support of track across a yoke of timid eyes. It was a face that Sherlock, for the ages, was hoping to one day, for all days, of which was meant by the ages, never be seen again. But memories of old in a bed of despair ne'er be out of mind, always in wait, like a savage nocturnal beast, a rest in the nooks and hollows where that finite trio sonata of heart mind and soul beats ever so steady but not always on time to remind us all that we are all so human thus we each and every one no matter what size the pitch we lodge our flags of flesh and blood upon are but made of glass Professor Moriarty takes a spirited breath. Slicing off so much more of the befouled air than be needed. And, sensing one such flag-bearing field laying before him now, flashes his familiar fiendish grin. But now his knotted collection of yellowy tusk be pearly white and perfectly aligned. From his vest pocket he extricates just as the good doctor had done on several occasions, while inactive and in recline at 221B, the army issue compass pocket watch. Cloaked and guarded eyes slowly ascend from the watch in his hand to lay claim to a fallen adversary that he knows lay directly at his feet, and does, as any adversary would when staring at the tip of a rival's boot, be at the professor's wanton mercy. He then speaks to the one that would oppose, afresh, anew, as if from another day and time, but most certainly at the here and now. In my spare time this afternoon, I was able, under extreme low-light conditions, I might add, to fully examine the stray pocket watch that has recently come into my possession. 
Perhaps you could help me locate its owner. But first, please allow me to relate what I have already deduced from the piece through simple observations. This watch belongs to a military man of medical rank, by the owner of which saw brief but bloody combat and was sent home earlier due to severe illness. You see, the watch is in relatively good condition, hence not long in use, but several deeply ingrained remnants of raw opium are on the crown state that the whole day was entrenched with a numerous amount of wounded. The professor, like an animal sensing its prey, has resigned itself to its inevitable doom, ceases to validate that his newfound powers of simple observation be that of not just any one man, but two. He then extends his arm forward until it can extend no more to release the military-issue compass pocket watch, landing next to a rueful Sherlock Holmes for he to possess, a somber keepsake of what he once had and would never have again. People have a nasty habit of dying around you, Master Holmes, as did your dear, sweet, and once departed mother. The echo of approaching footsteps once again rang through the air as another shadowy duet walk into the cell. The escort this time being Dixie, softly ushering inside a frail, womanly figure in a dress of yesterday's lace. A wrap of cotton veiling her eyes to compliment the professor. The wrap doing little to hide a face, all too familiar as well to the great detective. That thing... Shut him up! ...is not mine. Martini Theatre on the Air would like to extend our warmest regards to you, our most sincere listener, for tuning in this evening. We would also like to take this moment to thank the Martini Theatre players whose tireless effort and patience made tonight's broadcast possible. possible. 
They are as follows. The Dislayed, Victoria Turner, Kerry Lynn Weber, Toby Williams, Michael Northergut, Jim Dana Tall, Timothy James Walsh, Stephen West, D.C. McCauley, Elmer V. Jackson, Robert Romeo Coates, Charles Waterman, and J.D. Booth. Martini Theatre would also like to thank Brian Conwell for his melodious introduction. The Man Who Would Be Sherlock Holmes was written and dramatized by Walter Barclay Campbell based upon the award-winning screenplay of the same name. Until next week, this is M-T-O-T-A, signing off.